Guys, I want to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com, my friend Cody Nelson, the glassing guru, the optics authority. He's the optics manager at GoHunt.com. If you have any interest in buying optics or have any glassing questions, whether it be tripods, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, range finders, anything to do with glassing, give Cody a call, 702-847-8747, that's extension 2, or you can email him at optics at gohunt.com. You can also send him a text or call him on his cell phone at 602-399-3699. Guys, right now at GoHunt.com Insider, you can take advantage of the free trial. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash Scott. You're going to be able to take advantage of a free trial of the Insider. GoHunt is always adding more value for their Insider members. They've now added real 3D maps as a part of Insider for no additional cost. What an incredible value. Very soon, they're going to have their mobile app up as well. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash Scott and sign up for a free trial. If you're already an Insider member, it's automatically part of your Insider membership. And you can just go to the Maps tab up at the top once you sign in as an Insider. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. That's the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. To find out more, you can go to KUIU.com, Kuyu.com. They're a direct-to-consumer company. They sell everything off of the Kuyu.com website. I also do a lot of question and answer on my Instagram where I'm answering questions about guys wanting to know about gear about Kuyu, so tune into my Instagram. I want to thank Kuyu for their sponsorship. I also want to thank Phonescope.com. Use the JScott20 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount on all orders. Again, thanks to all the sponsors of my podcast. Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I've got a good friend of the podcast, Dwayne Adams, on the line. Dwayne, how you doing? I'm doing very good, Jay. Thank God. Just uh, the first time I've been home for Thanksgiving in 30 years. <laughs> yeah, it looks like you guys stacked them up pretty good on the Kaibab. Uh, before we get into these late hunts, the last time we talked, uh, you were worried that uh, – because of the fire that a bunch of the roads would be closed on the first hunt and then it would cause problems on the the second hunt let's talk about the first kaibab hunts um right off the bat here uh how did they end up well exactly what i thought was going to happen they did they locked the roads up and, and 22 was closed which that's the main through affair and the roads coming off of jacob lakes down so it made it very difficult for people jay to, to get to camp and I surmised it was going to be that way. And actually, it, was, it worked out pretty good, your podcast. People stopped by my camp. Uh, I'm, I'd say 15 to 20 people and thanked me because uh, they had no clue that that was going to be closed off. And uh, and they listened to your podcast, so they diverted and come around different directions. And, and so thank God that we got that out there. But they did lock it up, Jay, and it, it made it very tough because to go to, just to go get gas, it's about 50 miles out of your way. So, as far as um, the hunting conditions uh, on that first hunt, what what were the conditions? They were very tough, Jay, but they were hauling water. They'd been hauling water for a long time, and thank God that gave the deer a, a drink on the on the different drinkers that they had built. But it, it was dry, and, and I mean, it was just it, it was about what I thought it was going to be. I was actually horrified that we weren't going to be able to find any big bucks. 
but it worked out just the opposite of that. We killed uh, three bucks over 200 inches, and we killed five in the 180s. And I, I was flabbergasted. I mean, I did, I didn't think that would happen, but it did. And thank God that we were able to dig out some great big bucks. How did it work out as far as had the deer already started moving, or were they still up high, or were they caught in the transition zone? Where were they on that first hunt? They, they, they didn't move, and that's I think that's how come we pounded them is because. I figured that they were going to drop down into the oaks, and they did. They 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 just they just stayed on top, and 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 they stayed in that aspens and in that kind of country up there that we've hunted all of our lives, and that's how we really dug them out. Me and the guides, uh, you know, we we kill a buck here, and the guy said, "I seen another one there," and I think as the as the hunt progressed, people left the aspens and left all that country up there, thought they were going to migrate down, but they didn't. When we left, we killed the last big buck in that thick stuff on top, and he was 29 and three quarters, and we killed him on the, on the last day. Wow, fantastic. Um, okay, so after having you know a bang-up early season with eight bucks, I, I think I heard you say two over 205. I guess, it yeah. would, I guess it would be seven bucks. Um, we killed ten bucks altogether. The, the other bucks were in the 170s. Okay, so ten bucks altogether. What were your thoughts from what you saw in the early season going into the late season? And what, you know, kind of how did you think it was going to go? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because we figured that there was probably still going to be some deer up in that burn. We got there a couple of days early and there wasn't a track. They left. There wasn't a deer left, and and I I told Brett I said listen son I said you go hunt those holes and I'll go scout these other places, and he said okay Dwayne so we come back and, and met that evening, and he said I didn't see a deer in there he said they're not a track I said I seen twenty five bucks Brett I said they're down they're down in that mid range from there all the way down to jump up every every place I stopped there were deer so we switched gears and that's what we did I had a had a gentleman hunting with me from Kingman, a 15-year-old boy, just a really nice young man. I guided the dad. I mean, the dad, the uncle, and the grandfather came. And right off the bat, I found two 200-inch deer, on one on one side of the road and one on the other. I mean, how many times do you do that? <laughs> and so the, the first one was real close to us. And the boy got excited. I mean, that's just the way it is in the real world, you know. Everybody got excited. The deer was 200 yards, and he shot over his back. And he was a six by four, just a dandy buck, and he and he got away. Well, that's that's hunting. So I started talking to the, the kid, and he's and he actually admitted. He said, "I got excited, Mr. Adams." I said, "Son, that's why we're here. If you don't get excited, I mean, that's called the real world." So the next day, I found a a 190 type deer. And, and I calmed him down. I said, listen, just take your time. He don't know we're here. Just take your time. And he shot the deer at 500 yards, one shot, and killed it. So Good for it him. worked out re- really well. Good for him. On that late hunt, uh, did you have any weather come in at all, or was it still dry and no moisture? No, they had that snow up there. They had about 12 inches of snow or so at Jacob's Lake, and there was snow all the way down to jump up. And so there was still quite a bit of snow uh all over especially in the shady places so there was snow everywhere where we went so that's probably what made those deer move out of the high country and definitely migrate down um that snow was enough to just get them moving right 
that's exactly what I think. And one thing I learned about that snow, the acorns, they, they, it covers it up and they just go right through it. And if there's if it's not there, they'll they'll pick around and pick those acorns. But there was enough snow, they just went right through that, that acorn country and dropped on down to the cliff rows and the sage. And that's that's what they were feeding on. So as dry as things were and the big fire that they had up there, um, and then they had the 12-inch snow between the two hunts, um, on the late hunt, what did the conditions actually look like with the vegetation? I mean, is stuff looking still very, very uh, withered, if you will, and, and the vegetation not looking good, or did that snow do it wonders? No, no, it, it, it looked horrible. Uh, it literally looked bad. Uh, all, all the way down, and you can see those, those the vegetation stressed immensely. You can see the leaves, you know, falling off, not because of the winter, because of the lack of moisture. And uh, the best thing that can happen, thank God, is, is that we just gets a tremendous snow up there. And, and this winter to really help it because they're, 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 it's, it's tough up there. The vegetation is horrible. What kind of rutting um, activity did you see? Uh, obviously, you probably didn't see any on the early hunt, but what about on the uh, later hunt? It was it was it was on from the first day we got there, and that's how we why we finished in three days. We were able to, to go through a lot of bucks that normally you wouldn't be able to do that. Usually, it doesn't start until usually later in the season. We kill most of those deer from Wednesday on, that's always been the norm. And that's why I missed Thanksgiving for 30 years is because I'm usually chasing deer at Thanksgiving. But man, we, right off the bat, I, when I told you I seen 25 bucks, that's why I seen it. Every time I see a group of does, there was bucks. So it was on and it was on big. How do you think the guys are doing up there right now? Um, do you think the rut is just getting better and better up there? I do think it's getting better. And I talked to, eating at Jacobs Lake there and a lot of folks would come up and start talking to me and you know what do you think Mr. Adams and I tell them I said man it's on I said just keep looking for those that we're on and you know they'd say we just seen small bucks and I think the reason that they, they are is that I don't think they're moving enough and I kind of tell them if you're just seeing you got to move you got to go to other does you got to go to other places quit setting and look at the same deer you got to you got to move a lot i move a lot jay when i'm up there because if you don't see those deer you got to move to where the deer are not where you want them to come to don't you think though it's kind of been ingrained in us you know as as cooster hunters and glassers by trade um you know in the the thought of sitting in one spot and just picking it apart but you know i i use the same kind of tactic when i'm sheep hunting i'm trying to move a lot more because i figure mule deer you know, and sheep are kind of similar in the fact that they're bigger bodied than coos, and you can usually see them pretty quick, uh, even if they're bedded, even if they're in the thick stuff. Um, I, I think a lot of people get caught up in being too stationary, and then they don't cover enough country. And then ultimately, if you, you know, take that over several days, that ends up where someone like yourself is covering way, way more country and end up finding those pockets where the deer are, and then you're on them. See, everything you said right there is exactly why I think they're doing it. I watched some guys sit on a ridge almost all day. I went and went around and kept checking these places, and I came back in the evening. These, these, these two guys are standing on the same ridge, guys in the same place all day, and I told the hunters, I said, those guys are struggling. He said, why do you think so? I said, because they sit there all day. I said, they 
then so I stopped and talked to one of them, and they said, uh, "There's a group of does out there. It's like ten or twelve does." And I said, "Is there any, there's a small buck?" And they, they, we're thinking a big buck might come in, and it might. I'm not saying it's not, but why would you want to sit there on that one when you can drive around, get out and move, get out and move, get out and move, and, and check twenty places instead of sit there for one one? Right. Uh, tell me about the late hunt, uh, the biggest deer you guys killed. Well, uh, Logan Lillenquist, uh, a fine young man, uh, he he, uh, he booked with us early, and he had, he had lots of questions. So was, I was able to answer all of his questions as we got right up there. And I think he let six or seven bucks go the day before. Uh, nothing like this deer, but we found uh, – Frank Lopez is probably one of the best guides in, in, in America, and, and he's a better person than he is guide. So that, that'll tell you a lot about him. So he found this buck, and it was laying down. And it took it took Frank a long time to get to show Logan where it was because just a piece of it was showing. Part of the shoulder and part of the horn and a little bit of one eye. And it was 400 and I think 30 or 40 yards across this canyon. And Logan was using my rifle because his rifle, he couldn't get out and practice with it because of the, the ranges and stuff were shut down and they wouldn't let you go out and shoot during the year, Jay. Mm-hmm. You know how that went. Yeah. They want you out there. So I said, look, son, we get, I've got a rifle and it's dead on so you won't have any problems. So he used my rifle and so he said, I do see it, Frank. I see it now. So Frank said, just hold it. He shot and killed the deer in his bed. And it has 10 on one side and 6 on the other, and it scores 225. It's got a drop time of about 10 inches. It's just a big around. And uh, a, a great story, Jay, is we're at Jacobs Lake getting ready to have a cheeseburger, and this guy pulls up, and his, his name's Paul. And I got his last name, but I don't have it with me right now. And he says, I've been videotaping that deer for the last three days. And he was a very nice man. And I said, you have? And he got the footage out and started showing me. And he said, is it such and such ridge? He said, but we lost him on opening day, and we've never seen him since. Well, I think what happened, and I talked to Paul about this as well. I said, Paul, I think what happened where you seen that deer he's seen people or seen the trucks or whatever and he went over the top over where we were glassing and I'm pretty sure that's exactly what happened anytime those great big bucks feel any pressure they move they're not going to play around like that and he'd come over to where we were glassing these little cuts and Frank was and thank God Frank picked it up laying down so a deer like that I mean that's going to be one of the bigger deer shot on the Kaibab this year. Um, what are your thoughts moving forward, obviously with vegetation rough and drought conditions? Um, do you think the Kaibab's in a good position? No, no. And and I think the same thing in the strip. I, I have several strip people that they killed a couple nice bucks, but they didn't, they didn't kill anything like they could have killed. And I think it's the same thing out there. They're struggling. The Kaibab's struggling. We got to have the moisture. We need a great winter, and we got to have some summer rains. Or, you know, I I had a guy uh, that, that he called and he had a tag and he booked with me. And he said, "What do you think, Dwayne?" I tell him, 
I said, John, I turn it in. I turn your tag in. I said, because he wants to kill a great deer. Well, look, we killed these deer, but it could have went the other way. So you got to be honest with people. Right. So I, I told him, I turn it in, and hopefully next year we have a better year, moisture-wise, and then we'll go do it again. So I don't. I pray to God we get some weather, uh, Jay, is what I pray. Dwayne, what are you hearing out there on the cooster hunt so far in southern Arizona? Um, and are you are you guys guiding any of those hunts? What are you hearing out it, there on the street? Yeah, it's it's going really good, Jay. I mean, the coosters, I mean, they don't have to have all of the – like the mule deer and the elk do. I mean, they, 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 we've killed four or five good deer already and, uh, and shot at some other great deer. I mean, like, like everybody else, I see the pictures, they're killing some great deer. These deer, dog on it, uh, the coos deer, they survive way better than all those mule deer and they've expanded the range. You, you, you know that as well as I do. So it doesn't take a lot for those deer to make it. And there's some big bucks being killed. Dwayne, as we move into these later seasons here for coos deer with, you know, the, the quote-unquote Thanksgiving uh, time frame hunt, and then, you know, we've got some early December hunts, uh, and then as well moving into the mid-December hunt, what kind of tactics or strategy do you use that does it change at all from, say, those October hunts or maybe those early November hunts into more of these later seasons? It changes drastically because these deer have been shot. For this next season coming up, I've got a group that's hunted with me for years, and we hunt this hunt. And the reason I like it is because I hunt the pushed areas that that I know these deer have been pushed into. And that's that's exactly what I, I try to tell people. Every time there's a later and later and later, even the rut, I mean, we're not fortunate enough here to get the rut like Mexico where you can chase them, and they're literally chasing deer. I mean, you might get a little rut activity, but not enough to get crazy about. So you better know what you're doing when you get out there. So I like to hunt those areas that are way out in the flats where nobody looks or right back up high, high, high in the mountain where they're pushed into or in between two roads. And, And that's what I call a pushed area. So a lot of times I'll just walk three quarters of a mile through all the other nonsense to get to where I think those deer be pushed into. And that's, I consistently, is how we're killing deer is doing things, tactics like that. So you're you're going to places where the easy spots, in essence, have been mucked out. And you're so you're searching for those areas where deer have seen some pressure, they've heard some shooting, probably some of the smaller bucks they've been running with have gotten shot at. Maybe they've gotten shot at and they just... If they get old enough, they realize and know that they need to go. They either need to go low or they need to go high, right? It's that's that's what I found, Jay, and, it, I, and that's exactly what I'm doing. So I, I don't waste time at looking at where they think there might be. They were there in August and all that stuff. They're not there. They're either way out in those flats where nobody looks, where the canyon and most people can't get to. And I, I, that's exactly what we're doing, and we don't even shift gears and. These guys have hunted with me, hunted with me for years and years and years, and we've come up with this system. And and uh, one of them is seventy five years old, and he killed one hundred and five with me last year. And uh, it's Buck, and, and he's hunted with me for years and years. And his name's Doc. And I said, "Look, Doc, they're going to be there, so we got to leave about an hour and a half before the sun comes up. We're sitting right there. We'll be in the catbird seat. So we just take our time, walk out there." And man, when the sun come up, I, Lord sakes, there was a great deer. 
when you when you move to some of that thicker country or when you move into those higher elevations or higher up in the canyon a lot of times you get the thicker vegetation how do you as a mindset from from a glassing perspective how do you deal with some of that thicker country what do you actually do to you know become effective again in that thicker country just exactly what you do you slow down and you have to pick it apart that's all you think you can do and a lot of times that thicker country can be they you can kill them pretty easy if you find a a deer because they feel safe and uh just the hunt before this i had a hunter shoot five different times at a deer in that thick stuff the deer had no clue we were there uh, he, he thought he was hit, and finally we killed it. But uh, that just—he doesn't happen in the in the flats. If if you shoot at them out there, it, it doesn't take long, and they're they're leaving the world. They they take off. But that real thick country, they have a tendency to, to hang a little longer. What would you say those deer in the flats uh, right now? What are they eating as far as vegetation, or what should people be looking for when they're out there walking around or glassing in the desert floor? Is there one well, it, one thing that you would say if you find this, then you'll find coos deer bucks? Coos, right? It's interesting you brought you bring that up. We we hunted the flats, uh, <clears throat> and I told the guy, I said, "You see that barrel cactus?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "Just keep an eye on on the hillside." There's, I said, "There's usually a good place to look." He looked. He said, "There's a deer." I looked at it over there, and it was a doe. And it was eating the barrel cactus. I said, you see that? I said, yeah. I said, those deer love those barrel cactus tops. And I said, but God designed those fruit. I said, they, they don't all come ripe at the same time. So you'll watch a deer pluck it off and you'll see them leave. And when they leave, I kept thinking, I wonder why they, they leave because all that fruit. When you go over there, unless it's ripe, it, you can't pull it off. And so then I realized that's why God designed it that way, Jay. So a deer couldn't sit there and gorge itself and eat all the fruit. So they one comes right, they, they make that circle, and, and they like a teddy bear cholla, and that's not the big cholla. Most people get them mixed up. The teddy bear cholla is a little short one, about three or four feet, and has clusters of little balls on it, of uh, and and they love those things, Jay. Those coos deer love those things, and so if you get that teddy bear cholla in the flats, and you get those barrel cactus. You're, you're right. You're in the game. Dwayne, speaking specifically about the, let's say, after Christmas time frame for those guys that have these late December tags, you know, you talk about, you know, not getting to hunt the deer like we do, say, in January when they're running down there in Mexico. But certainly after Christmas is the time frame that you're kind of eyeballing for potential, you know, mature buck rutting activity, maybe you know, chasing does, we get a cold snap. Um, talk a little bit about that time period and, and how you, you know, kind of approach that after Christmas time frame. Well, exactly what you're saying is what we're praying for. I bring everybody in the day after Christmas and we start hunting coming in. And Jay, I move a lot. I do the same thing there that I do in the Kaibab. And because what happens that I found and I'm sure you have this, those deer are starting to move in. So if you keep looking at the same hillside and there's no deer there, I think you're kidding yourself. And then I think once you find that deer, then the game changes 
this big times. And once we fight a big buck and he's in this zone, then we don't leave that zone. That, that's when I put the brakes on and just start getting different angles because he, he's there. Now it's just a matter of me finding him. What about as far as if you're in, you know, you're after Christmas and you're seeing lots of does, but you're not seeing mature bucks with those does, do you continue to move or do you do you continue to come back and check those does? Or are you looking for does that have little bucks that are kind of running them, figuring that they're starting to kind of get potentially where they're ready and then all of a sudden a big buck? In other words, if you've got just does with no bucks at all around them and then you've got does with you know small bucks kind of chasing them around, kind of nosing, do you pay attention to one over the other more? Yeah, you answered the question, Jay. That's a great question because what happens when if you see one of those little small bucks that is chasing those does around like crazy, she's probably in heat. She's an estrus. And so that little buck, small buck's not going to take it. But, if you're, you know, a lot of times if you're glassing and you see 25 or 30 does out there, and I leave. But I come back the next day. I always tell people, look, every 24 hours this rut goes crazy all night long. And I said, so... We'll just keep checking. and then. But I wouldn't sit there and glass those same doles all day. If, if I don't see anything, I'm moving. I just keep moving. But I darn sure come back and check them. Dwayne, we also have a bunch of late hunts kicking off here the day after Thanksgiving. And I get a lot of questions, guys wanting to know how to hunt late elk. Um, I know you're usually really busy on the Kaibab and busy... Uh, with coos deer that time of year but what kind of advice would you give guys that also are looking at these uh, late elk hunts and you know with the dry conditions out there is there anything specific that you would be doing on on the late hunts yeah we've hunted the late hunt for years uh, and i've got some guides to do it but i tell them that you're going to find all those elk on the northwest side and and, and literally you know, they're not going to be out in those great big meadows doing all the stuff they do. And usually they're out there feeding, and about an hour before the sun comes up, they're moving to those northwest thick, thick places. So I just tell them, don't stop looking except on the northwest side. And sooner or later, you'll find one of those big bulls laying there. You're not going to see him out there in the open. If he is, he's dead. They're too easy to see out there, Jay. They'll kill him. And so you're going to have to start looking for those elk on the northwest side. And I do elk hunting a lot different than I do anything else like that. I get long ways away, and we got the, the real big binoculars, not not the ones like the big eyes. We got stuff that you can see lots of country with, and then try to find one of those things at miles away, and then move in. That's 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 what we're doing instead of looking just looking at one canyon. Do you find that the elk during the late seasons move a lot, or are they very stationary? No, they don't move. No, that's that. I don't think they move a lot at all. I think that's why people don't find them. They, it's nothing like the archery hunt or the early bull hunt when they're screaming and they are moving a lot. I think that they're wore out after the rut and they find a little hole and they stay there. And and that's why most people see don't see them. You know, on opening day at Unit One, for example, they'll be out by Big Lake. They'll be at all those big meadows. When the first shot goes off. You're not going to see a cow out there. It's over. They leave that, and they're smart enough, and they don't come back. Right. Dwayne, looking forward, you've got hunts uh, coming up this weekend, and um, 
what else are you looking at? Do you have over-the-counter archery opportunities? Um, do you have any openings for those archery opportunities in January or late December? Or what, what's your status on that? We, we have openings in January, but we don't have any in December. We, we've got all that booked up. we got a couple openings in January. If folks are on a call, just give us a call. We'd love to take them. And it, to me, I tell people, besides Mexico, this is the best chance that you'll have in the United States to chase a gigantic mule deer in the desert and a gigantic coos deer and from the same position. And it's, it, it's with a bow. But I tell people, it's, and I believe that, I think it's, it's an unbelievable hunt. And uh, I try to tell people, don't just shoot a deer. Let them, let them go. If you don't see the kind of deer you want, because you don't want to burn your points or, I mean, burn your tag for the next year. But you, I mean, I, Jay, last year we seen two of the doggonest deer you'd ever want to see anywhere. Uh, one was 35, 36. I don't know. It was unbelievable. We chased this deer for five or six days. And I've got video of this thing. It was un- unbelievable deer. But you, you'd never find that deer in, in, on, on a rifle season. Lord knows where it goes. But I found, I found him three years in a row in January. Dwayne, what about those guys out there that maybe didn't draw this year or, you know, they're, they're, they want to get out and hunt archery deer? I would recommend to them, and I'm curious your thoughts, if, if they're looking for deer for the next season, what a great time to get out when they're rutting. And granted, they may be in different positions, but to learn a unit and really see it, the, the amount of deer you see in January in the peak of the rut is astronomical compared to when it's hot and say in October when they're all bedded up and shaded up. Just as far as getting out and learning a country getting out and you know finding certain specific bucks you know they're not going to be too far from there say for the next rifle season do you think that's a good way to preview for the next year i've always in seminars that i gave years ago i would tell them the best time to scout is not in the summer that's the poorest time because you'll never see any good deer the best time to scout any mule deer or coos deer unit is the month of january and in the, on into February, and I said, because just exactly what you at, said right now, Jay, that's when you were like, man, there are big deer here. Now, why am I not finding them? And then you start getting better and better and better. You know they're there. You know there's world-beater deer there. So you better believe it. And, I mean, it's it's not uncommon a guy could see the buck of a lifetime. I have clients and people call me all the time and ask questions, and I and they said, I seen a big buck on January 10th or 12th, and I and I didn't even know there was something like that there. So you better believe it. And plus, it, it's cool out there then, so you're not dying. And I hate rattlesnakes. I hate them things. So I don't want to be walking around out there and wrap one of those four-footers around my leg in, in the summer either. <laughs> Speaking of that, we were just up on a sheep hunt, and my friend Phil Kramer had his tripod legs out, and he was sitting on a rock, and he was glassing looking for sheep. And he, he was actually on the phone and answering a call and he just got a sense of something and he kind of looked to his left and there was a rattlesnake crawling right by his left foot, had already gotten but underneath his tripod legs and was crawling like directly at him between his legs and he just instantly just fell backwards because he didn't know what else to do to get out of the way and... Um, scared him to death and and uh, i called on the radio and said i just had a rattlesnake crawl up on me and i mean that was up in a 6a and 
you know, November where the mornings have been in the 30s. Well, you... Not uh, good. Not good. I hate, <laughs> I hate them, and I and, and thank God Cranberry didn't fall off a cliff because that's probably what Dwayne would have done. I hate them. <laughs> and, you, know, I, you know, when you get out there like we do, I've wrapped two of them around my leg, kicked them, you know, not literally wrapped them around, but I thought they were going to bite me, and I jumped and screamed and hollered, and so everybody out there very much has done that. But in January, you know, I'm not saying it can't happen, but it's not as it's not as prevalent as it is in July and August. So, right, and the animals move, you know, almost all day. You'll see Roman bucks they're chasing, and so it gives you a great opportunity. Even if you're not a good glasser, you can become a good glasser when there's a lot of animals out there moving. Yeah, for sure, Dwayne. Are you um, still doing the glassing seminars or the glassing, you know, sessions that you do? Uh, with people during hunting season or is it during hunting season they kind of get uh, put to the wayside yeah and i want to thank you for that uh bringing that up because it's been unbelievable uh the, the response we've got from your podcast over that but yeah we are nick and i are going to start them around the 15th of february again we've got so many hunts that we can't uh, it's just not fair for us to, to try to schedule somebody and then we can't be there so but the 15th of february all spring we'll be given uh, glassing lessons again and uh, uh, jay i've had four guys text me this week they went to the glassing lessons and killed deer and, and and they're right really not thank you mr adams thank you 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 put me on these deer i would have never found them and so uh, uh it, it's worked out immensely well good well i'm glad and i'm glad you had a great season on the kayabab and um fantastic bucks as always and i look forward to chatting at you again uh, wish you the best of success on these upcoming hunts and we'll be chatting uh, maybe after the first of the year to get another report and uh, as always Dwayne thanks for your friendship and uh, thanks for all that you bring to the podcast thank you Jay and God bless everybody alright buddy Bye -bye. take care